Uh, for those of you that can see, thanks to Betty Reimer, uh, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out which one has yeast. And it might be coming out of the bowl before I'm done this evening. And we're going to talk about that. We've been dealing with the questions that Jesus asked, and, and we can't deal with all 305 um, because we'd be around for a long time. Uh, but I've kind of been picking and choosing. Uh, as I said last time, I think the very most important question you'll ever have to answer is, who do you say that I am? And everything else hinges on that. Uh, this evening, we're going to look at actually uh, a series of questions. We're going we're to look at eight questions in five verses. This is like rapid-fire questions from Jesus, and, and every time I go into the Gospels and I look at this editorial arranging, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe. I mean, look at what Mark does here. We have the healing of the deaf and mute man in chapter 7. Do you hear? Then we have the feeding of the 5,000. Then we have the Pharisees asking for a sign. Then we have this passage we're dealing with today with all of these questions. And then we heal, have the healing of the blind man at Bethesda in chapter 8, verse 22 and on. Do you see? And then finally, we have this confession by Peter, you are the Christ. There's, 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 this is not a coincidence. Jesus didn't do random miracles just for funsies. There was so much purpose in what he did and how it was put together. I John, in his gospel, has all of these I am statements, I am the bread of life, etc., etc., because Jesus is trying to give us a picture of who he is. The context of Mark here reveals how hard it was for friend and fool to comprehend Jesus' radically new message. His disciples, his family, his hometown, the crowds, and the religious leaders all did not have spiritual eyes to see. And the question is, do we? And I asked Gerald to, to highlight that. Watch out. I mean, watch out. Your house is burning. Watch out. Your boat is headed toward the falls. Watch out. You're on the golf course and somebody just yelled, four, you better duck. Like, this is serious stuff. The creator of the world, the master of the universe says, watch out. Are we paying attention? Does that, does that grab you? Or does, that, does that actually, do you just gloss over that and not pay attention? Or do we think that that watch out was for those guys 2,000 years ago and it actually doesn't apply to us today. I have news for you. We better watch out too. That danger hasn't changed. In fact, some of us would say it seems to be incremental. Watch out. That's, to me, that's the most significant part of this passage. Watch out. Or like somebody said, put attention. Pay attention. Jesus asked a bunch of questions that show his disappointment at the spiritual dullness of his pupils. They misunderstand a remark that he makes about the Pharisees, and when he refers to Herod, he's lumping in the Sadducees. So it's the legalism of the Pharisees, and it's the, the political power, etc., etc., of the Sadducees, and he lumps them together. And, and the disciples misunderstand that remark, and they begin to discuss the fact that they'd forgotten to bring bread, because they only had one loaf. And as I said, that leads to a fury of eight questions in five verses. And actually, I like that word juxtaposed. We have, do you not understand at the beginning? And do you not understand at the end? So I, I got to ask us, do you not understand? Do we get it? 
Or are we kind of like the guy that falls asleep on an air mattress on a slow-moving river, and we don't even realize, because we're fast asleep, that we're heading to the Iguazu Falls, to La Garganta del Diablo, to the devil's throat. By the way, you wouldn't survive if you went over that. Watch out. Are we awake? Are we awake spiritually? Thank you, Leroy. Are we awake spiritually? Of course, the disciples could remember what had happened at the feeding. Both of them, right? The 4,000, the 5,000, they could remember that, but they couldn't see a connection between those great miracles and their problem of being breadless in the boat. <laughs> it's, it's kind of ludicrous. It's kind of, I don't know if this would be applicable, but it's kind of like me lamenting the fact that I don't have a shovel full of sand when I know somebody that has more sand than he can count. Oh, we only have one loaf of bread. Now what? Fortunately, in verse 17 and 21, there's a not yet. So there's hope. And, and, and let's apply that to us. Not yet. Do you not understand? Do you not yet understand? It implies that their, comprehension, their, their lack of comprehension or their hardness of heart, unlike the outsiders mentioned in chapter 4, is only temporary. At some point they're going to get it. The dime's going to drop. And my hope for us as we walk through life is that the dime drops, that we get it, that we understand, that we grow that spiritual muscle. Because just like... Like, I didn't get this body by not going to the gym. Like, right? Physical muscle is made by tearing muscle. And spiritual muscle is also made through strenuous activity. Diane actually alluded to some of that. In view of the question which he had put to them in verse 29, who do you say that I am? It appears that he had hoped for a more adequate grasp of his authority and his mission. So Jesus says, watch out for a hardened heart, which is, a hardened heart is no understanding. And by the way, if we let this sit here for a while, I think according to our uh, Mennonite wives can cook, bake, whatever. This, this, thing, is, this thing without yeast is going to be hard, and, and probably at some point we'll be able to play soccer with it. But she doesn't want this one to go home with. Uh, she's going to keep that one at least what's still in the bowl after we're done. Watch out for a hardened heart. Um, in the Bible, the heart is the conscious self, the inner core of the individual. It's the hub of your personality, producing those kinds of things that we ordinarily ascribe to the mind. Okay? So faith and belief are both products of the heart. The disciples here show an amazing lack of faith and understanding. Even when they are reminded of what they saw and heard, they can't comprehend it because they're hard-hearted. So it begs the question again, do you and I have hard hearts? Do, do we get it? Do we understand? Um, bought these at the dollar store. Uh, when I look through these glasses, what does everything look like? Go ahead. It looks red. If I look through these glasses, green, thank you. Whether you wear glasses or not, you've got glasses on. 
The question, the question this evening is, which ones do you have on? You have the glasses of the world where you read everything through that lens, and then you understand things, or you think you do, but with a worldly perspective. Or have you figured out how to have spiritual glasses, and you view things through a spiritual lens? There's a huge difference. The outcome is different. A moment ago, you were all looking fairly red in the face. Then after a while, you were all very green in the face. Not sure which is better. We, have, we all have glasses. We filter. And today, we're bombarded with more stuff than ever before. Jesus analyzes the disciples' condition and diagnoses it as hardness of heart, blind eyes, and stopped-up ears. I think I have a little bit of an understanding of stopped-up ears based on these last six months. You remember a couple of Sundays where I stood in the pulpit and I said, can you hear me? And you said, yes. And I said, good, because I can't hear myself. I had to get my eardrums punctured a couple of times. Got a tube put in this one. I can hear. Oh, I'm happy. Now, of course, the downside is the selective listening at home doesn't work anymore. <laughs> anyway... Do we see? Do we hear? Disciples are susceptible to the decay of unbelief. And it happens slowly. Just like the yeast happens slowly. When, when, when Betty brought these, I hope this thing doesn't all of a sudden cave because I moved it. But when she brought these, brought these in uh, less than an hour ago, they were the same size. 100%, they were the same size. I have witnesses. Very carefully. Don't slam the oven door when you're checking. Blind eyes, stopped up ears, decay of unbelief. And you can be a Christian since you were in diapers. For most of us, that was a long time ago. But that doesn't mean that you aren't susceptible to unbelief or the spirit of decay. It's like the Simon and Garfunkel song, Slip Sliding Away. If we don't keep paddling in the right direction, we're slip sliding away. Blindness and hard-heartedness stem from many causes. Jesus had a vision of what the kingdom of God would look like and his calling as a Messiah. But the disciples, they didn't see anything. No matter how they strained, they couldn't see it. Everything looked to them like a barren wasteland. They could remain in the dark, but Jesus called them to trust his vision. They could doubt because of the resources that seemed so pitiful. And then they didn't remember that God's provision in the past had always been there. They could hold back their commitment until they got more proof. And some of us trust God as long as things are going good. And when the bottom falls out, now we need more proof. They could faint along the way and lose heart. You see, it's easy to see how a hardened heart can dull a person's ability to perceive and understand. Just like when I'm wearing the wrong glasses, it's difficult to see accurately. I thought your faces were all red or green because I was wearing the wrong glasses. Anyone's heart can harden, even Christians, faithful Christians. And with his questions, Jesus spells out for us the characteristics of the disciples' spiritual heart condition as an inability to see, to understand, to hear, and to remember. Sin causes hearts to grow hard, especially continual and unrepentant sin. 
If we don't confess our sins, they have a cumulative and a desensitizing effect on the conscious, making it difficult to even distinguish between right and wrong. So just like, just like yeast, whoops, wrong one, just like yeast has a, a positive effect on the dough, sin also has a negative effect on my life. It, it makes me insensitive to sin, and it actually makes it difficult for me to distinguish between right and wrong. And I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but we look at our society and we look at this inability to see the difference between right and wrong. And sometimes we're just, we're left gobsmacked. How could you, how could you even think that way? What rational human being would ever come to that conclusion? The sin-hardened heart is similar to a seared conscience, Paul says to Timothy. Pride will also harden our hearts. The root of Pharaoh's hard-heartedness was pride and arrogance, and even in the face of tremendous proofs and witnessing God's hand at work, his pride hardened his heart. So how do we get a hardened heart? I've got a few steps here, and they're in our passage. Number one, a hardened heart is a result of yeast. Have it right there. Result of yeast. Now, just a little history. The ancient world used more dangerous yeast than we do. It was produced by keeping a piece back from the previous week's dough, storing it in certain conditions, and then adding some juices to it to promote the fermenting process. The problem is that this homemade rising agent was fraught with health hazards because it easily became tainted, spreading poison to the rest of the dough and infecting the entire batch. And trust me, I can remember having Veranita in Paraguay and I ate from the wrong one because she had made a batch that she let ferment on the counter and she made another batch and I ate from that one and I got food poisoning like I've never had. Amazing. It spreads to the entire batch. So the point Jesus is making when he talks about the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees is that it spreads. It's incremental. The Pharisees and Herod or the Sadducees shared one poisonous fault that can infect others. Their obstinate refusal to believe in spite of the evidence. They won't admit the truth, let alone embrace it, even when it stares them in the face. In the face. Unbelief begins to rise like leaven when one becomes preoccupied with mundane things, like the cares of this world. It's interesting, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. Get your priorities in order. When the disciples become consumed with worry that they do not have enough bread, we rightly ask, why do they feel so insecure? They're traveling with the one who has already shown his care for them and is a power to satisfy their needs. They worry about all the wrong things. And yet the petty worries of modern disciples like you and I look just as silly and unnecessary. Just as silly. The yeast of the Pharisees and Herod are those heart attitudes which distort and permeate your personality. Attitudes and values. I've come to read the Sermon on the Mount much more in terms of informing in my attitudes and values instead of a check-off list like a to-do list. Because if I change my attitudes and my values and they become kingdom attitudes and values, the behaviors, the rest of it will all follow suit. <clears throat> we must constantly be on guard against self-righteous legalism. 
the problem of the Pharisees. And I know we, uh, as, as Christian Mennonites, don't struggle with legalism. Uh, that's a thing of the past, uh, just in case. Uh, the other one that we have to be careful of is stale, lifeless institutionalism. And, and that, that can get us too where we go through the motions or, or we try to keep programs alive and we've forgotten why we're doing them or what our desired outcome is. And, 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 and if it becomes lifeless, if your devotions become lifeless, if your coming to church becomes lifeless, how, how sad is that? And thirdly, we need to be constantly on guard against selfish materialism. In other words, being consumed with ourselves. In multiplying the loaves, Jesus demonstrated his divine power and revealed who he was. Hence the question afterwards, who do you say that I am? The disciples should have seen that the yeast of the Pharisees was their whole attitude toward life. And we need to also be constantly on guard against the spirit of this age. Christ's way is totally different from that of the world. And the yeast in the bread... The corruption of the Pharisees advanced in hardly perceptible ways, but it was extensive. Uh, this is rising faster than I would have expected. You can perceive it if you take time, right? But you can't actually see it rising. You can see where it is now as opposed to 15 minutes ago. The yeast of the Pharisees also is imperceptible. It creeps up in your life and mine and advances extensively. By warning the disciples against the hypocrisy or leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus was hoping to keep his followers from this insidious influence. You might ask, what is uh, modern yeast? Because we're obviously not referring to yeast. This is a metaphor. Well, I'm going to say one, one option is uh, social, uh, social media algorithms. If I go looking on Amazon for a bicycle, I all of a sudden am flooded with ads for bicycles. Etc. Etc. The, the the world has figured out how to throw consumerism in my face and make me number one, and it's 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 insidious. Cookies, and I'm not talking about the kind you eat. I, this one I hate. You put an app on your phone or on your laptop, and it and you have options. One option is. Ask them not to track you. Yeah, but does that actually keep them from tracking you? Hmm? Not likely. This, this tracking us for consumerism or pushing of a liberal agenda in our schools and elsewhere, it is rampant. So that's the yeast. Number two, a hardened heart is also the result of having eyes but failing to see and ears but failing to hear. It's as if they had tuned in to Jesus with a primitive crystal radio set and all they heard was a faintly scratching voice overwhelmed by a background hiss or white noise. And, and Leroy, you're absolutely right. Uh, in, in this world where we're bombarded by so much white noise... It takes work to be quiet before the Lord. We have to be intentional to block out all of the noise 
that isn't actually helping us to grow spiritually. And it isn't often helping to build peace into your life and mine either. The disciples' major problem is not simply their blindness, but the failure to recognize that they are blind. And I, I suggest this evening that, that you and I probably are better off if we recognize that we're smitten with the same problem or the same challenge. You see, Jesus has the power to save, and those of us that have accepted him as our Lord and Savior and expect to go to heaven one day when he calls us home, we understand that, we pay lip service to that. But what about the second question? Does he also have the power to help you and me live in victory? Oh, that's another question. Does he want us to live in victory in this life while we're here? I, I think so. But I can't do that if I, if I dance to the world's drum. It, 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 it's not going to work. If we ask, how could the disciples be so dense, we must immediately ask the same question of ourselves. The disciples saw dimly in a glass coated with the dust of traditional ways of thinking and warped by the curvature of their own dreams and ambitions. And I think the glass we look through is not much different. It's the challenge. It's kind of, it's kind of like AA where you admit, you start by admitting that you have a problem. Because until you admit that you have a problem, there's nothing you can do with it. We're in no less need of healing before we can see what God is doing. Do we see what God is doing? I think he's, he's active and he's, he's wanting to do more. Are, are, are we seeing? Are we open to it? The disciples should have seen enough bread miracles not to worry about earthly bread. Instead, they appear more like the Israelites in the wilderness who never learned faith, despite all that God had done for them. This idea of sense organs like hearing and seeing, which don't function, is a normal way of describing spiritual, the lack of spiritual awareness. Do we see? Do we hear? And Jesus charges his disciples here with being no better off than the outsiders. And, and, it, and it gets worse when Peter declares, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, uh, blessed are you, because God revealed this to you. It takes a little bit later, and Peter tells Jesus, no way, you're not going to the cross. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. R recognizing two very different voices. And, and that's what I'm getting at here, that you and I, we are subjected to two very different voices in our world. And, and if we don't know how to identify which voice we're hearing or listening to, how in the world are we going to actually manage to listen to the right voice? Isn't that the challenge? The metaphor of blindness prepares the way for the next passage where the healing of a blind man will symbolize the enlightenment which the disciples so obviously needed. At the same time, the metaphor of deafness recalls the recently healed deaf man a miracle which closely parallels the blind man at Bethesda. So our, our, our conversation, this paragraph that deals with spiritual callousness, sits in between two literal miracles of perception. I think Jesus is trying to make a point. And so is Mark as he narrates this. They neither have eyes that see nor ears that hear. 
And I say to us this evening that Jesus has the power for any situation to save you, but also to help you live in victory. Because that's what he wants to do. They and we need to recognize who Jesus is. We're back to that. Who is Jesus for you? Thirdly, a hardened heart is a result of not remembering. Not remembering. The final words of verse 18 says, Don't you remember? Remembering together with perceiving, understanding, seeing, and hearing is an essential part of this process. The disciples should have remembered how abundantly Jesus had provided for them on both occasions, so much so that they had leftover bread to collect. He, the great provider, was in the boat with them. What else could they want or need? You and I need to learn to remember and act on that remembering as we remember our experiences of God's faithfulness in our life. Um, we've often sung that hymn, Count Your Many Blessings. I can choose to focus on the negative or on the positive, and I don't think it's just being overly optimistic or unrealistic. I personally can count many blessings, and I think uh, most of us could say that. Similar to the disciples or the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, when a calamity arises in our lives, our hearts are often filled with fear and anxiety, and we take our eyes off of Jesus and all of the faithfulness he's shown us in the past, and we see the white caps in front of us, and we yell, help me, I'm sinking. And I said, we, we, because that's the, that's, that's the normal and sadly, this simply reveals to God the little faith that we have in his promise to take care of us. We need to remember not only the many times God has graciously provided for us in our time of need, but also what he has told us. This is a phrase that my mom repeats to my dad every single time I take her to visit him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the promise Jesus said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he doesn't rip you out of the challenge. He walks with you in it. And finally, you still not understand. Perhaps the most poignant question Jesus asks, he asks twice. Like I said at the beginning and the end of this paragraph, do you yet not yet understand? The disciples are anxious about food, yet they've seen Jesus working the most extraordinary miracles of provision. And they've worked with him, handing out the food and then collecting the leftovers. But they didn't understand because they'd forgotten what the maker and sustainer of the universe was, the bread of life himself. And he was still right there with them. The feeding of the 5,000, later the 4,000, had given the disciples an opportunity to learn who Jesus was and to understand the nature and source of his power. And that is for us today, folks. We need to understand who Jesus is and what that actually means. That's, just not an, that's not just an idea in your head. The creator of the world who came to save us and also help us to walk in victory and, and fills us with his Holy Spirit, that's what we're dealing with. Dunamis, dynamite. 
And how often do I just try to go it on my own? Hmm. That's maybe kind of like trying to paddle away from the Niagara Falls in a rubber dinghy on your own with one paddle. You're not going to manage that. Fortunately, Jesus never gives up on the disciples, and he still, out, he still holds out hope for them by saying, do you still not understand? And today, I'm, I'm pretty confident that Jesus is just as patient with you and me. And, and maybe, maybe he's whispering to you right now, or maybe later on today, whispering to you, do you still not understand? Do, do, do you know who I am? That I'm in your corner? That I'm with you? That I got this? Whatever it is you're dealing with? The not yet implies that eventually they will see. And I'm trusting that you and I will as well. Here's a comment I hope that you understand. I thought it was really poignant. We must be transformed from mere data collectors into meaning discerners. Transformed from data collectors to meaning discerners. I think, I think there's a lot that God wants to tell us and share with us. And, and we need to figure out the meaning of what he's wanting to say to us. Both individually and, and corporately as a church. We're often overwhelmed with present cares because we do not understand. And we don't remember what we have known and seen as the power and goodness of our Lord. So we, so we forget the works of God and we distrust them. And we should then chide ourselves and say, am I without understanding? How is it that my heart is hardened? Like the psalmist, we should pray, search me, O God, know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a great prayer. God can heal any heart once we recognize our disobedience and repent of our sins then we can take positive steps toward applying God's word to our lives. Which leads us to our call to worship. I was chatting with Jody earlier this week, and I said, you know, maybe what we should do is we should have a three-minute talk and then a half-hour discussion about application. Because, because what, we, what we get and put in, if it doesn't actually work itself out into affecting my life, it actually, it actually turns out like this dough without yeast. And, and it's not a negative effect, it's actually, uh, sorry, it's not a, a, a neutral effect, it's a negative effect. Because the more I hear God's word and not apply it, the more I've inoculated myself against true faith. So you have to do something with what you know. And it grows like this yeast. You have to do something with what you know. So when we pray, when we read God's word, we need to say, speak, Lord. And, and then we need to do something with what we hear. And then our faith will grow and we will grow. The reverse, be doers of the word, not hearers only. When we're hearers only, and if we leave exactly like we came, and every single time it's the same, guess what? We're not leaving like we came. We're leaving worse. Those are really the two options. We either apply God's word, we either work at 
making it penetrate our hearts and our lives? Or we deceive ourselves? Let's pray and then I'll ask uh, the praise band to come up and lead us in some more singing. Heavenly Father, you, uh, you've said watch out. Um, we, uh, we recognize that there are many challenges to uh, living a consistent life of faith and faithfulness. But we also recognize that you have called us uh, to follow you faithfully, to apply your word to our hearts and our lives. And we ask that this evening as we uh, do this introspection that you would keep us from having hardened hearts, that our hearts would be soft and open to your word, that our ears and our eyes would perceive that we would understand. Enlighten us by your Holy Spirit, because without your Holy Spirit, we won't understand. Thank you for working in our hearts and in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. 